Well, we are going to have Toppy Collioso speaking to us today. <laughs> I'll, I'll just go away. Here he comes. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> So what does Jesus get when he walks in? I know what I'm going to do. You know how I'm going to start, right? I'm going to get you making some noise. I have to say, though, the time of worship, what a blessing. What a blessing. Such truth said to music like that, and all we just get to sing to it. It's a wonderful time. It's a joy to be here. I'm going to ask, I'm going to say, praise the Lord. Oh, you're just showing off now. You know the answer to that? I didn't even know you knew what the response was. All right. Here we go. Praise the Lord. Okay, okay, okay. Okay, I'm in the right place. Well, you know how they do it in Nigeria, right? They're going to start low. <laughs> you know how they do it in China, right? They're going to start. All right. Well, there's got to be somebody Chinese here. All right. They're going to start, praise the Lord. It's kind of low. You say hallelujah, low. Then the next one is a little higher. Then the last one is just unbelievable. The roof here has got to come right off under the pressure of your shout. Are you ready for this? This is how we're going to welcome Jesus. Praise the Lord. By the way, the third one, you've got to make it extend. Okay, just in case there's somebody here who's falling asleep, they've got to wake up. All right, we're starting all over again. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Woo! Yeah. It is an incredible joy to be here. And in fact, you know, you, I need you to do me a really big favor because in Africa, in Lus Zambia, in Lusaka, there are a group of Christians there, young people, teenagers, just like you. I've come to know a number of them, about 20, 30 of them in number. They meet every week there in our, in our church there. And I tried for them to catch a vision of what it looks like to have thousands upon thousands of teenagers come together honoring Jesus and praising him. I describe it to them, but how much they get it, I don't know. I want to film you, and I want you to say to them, we love you, Lusaka. Can you do that? All right, it's Lusaka now. Here we go. One second, make sure this is working. How does it go? Oh, my goodness gracious me. You all ready? New day, greet Lusaka. We One more time. One more time, we love. I can run through a troop. By God, I can run through a troop. And I can leap over the wall. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is flawless. 
by God, I can run against the troop. And I can leap over a wall. As for God, this God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is truth. It is flawless. Those are the words of David, King David, honoring God and telling us something about the life that he had lived and how come he got to do all that he did. He loved God. He walked with God. He honored God. He was so close to God, intimate with God. The first person in the Bible who really got it to say, I love you, God. David was all about God. All about God. Oh, he was a king. But if you think he was about being a king, you've missed it completely. He was completely about God. Sold out to God. David loved God. And he accomplished all kinds of things for God. So that at the end of his life, when he looks back, he said, the Spirit of the Lord helped me to do this. When he looks back, and if you were to ask him, how come you did all this? Oh, he would say to you, there is nothing, by God, there's nothing I cannot do. So that I can run through a troop. And I can leap over a wall. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is flawless. In that one sentence, really, three times he references God. God, God. It's all about God. All about God. David, at the end of his life, realized, I wasn't just living a life and making it up and just meandering. Oh, no, 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 no. It turns out my life was in God's hand. It turns out God had a plan for my life. He had a purpose for my life. He had a design for my life. Nothing in God's economy is wasted. God had it all in hand. Today, I want to tell you the same thing. That God has a plan for your life. Can you say amen to that? I'm going to need you to say amen every so often. Yeah. Every time you hear something that just goes deep into your spirit. You just know it's true. Or it feels like he's talking to you. Let something rise up in you that just says an amen. That you may see what the spirit is doing. God has a plan for your life. And you will not miss it in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Because with God, nothing is wasted. He has a plan for your life. He designed it. He drew it. He measured it out and made sure this is how it's going to look. God has a plan for you. Oh, he has a plan for the whole world, has a plan for this nation, has a plan for churches and so on. But he has a plan also for you, that you may come back to look to him and know exactly what this plan, what the plan of God is for your life. Oh, David knew what it was, and God wants you and I to know it as well. In the Old Testament, when a group of the Israelites were taken into captivity, they hadn't lived God's way. They hadn't lived God's way. They've lived their own way. They've been taken away in captivity to Babylon. And God is looking at this from, from above, and he calls the prophet Jeremiah. He says, I have a word for those people. Think about it now. Here they are, marching away, losing. They've lost their homes. They've lost everything that they ever once had because they didn't listen to God. And yet God has a word for them. You would think God's word to them would be, I warned you, you didn't listen, this will teach you. But that is not the word he had. Oh no, he sent through Jeremiah, he said, tell them, I know the plans that I have towards you, says the Lord. 
good plans, plan for good, not evil, that you may have a good future and a hope. I know the plans that I have towards you, said the, they will have thought a plan. We're talking, what kind of plan is it? Because we're going now into death, into damnation, into depression. God says, uh, it looks so bad now, but I have a plan for you. And why is he telling them this as they're going there? So that it may ring in their hearts and they may remember it all their lives. That this is just a part of a very large story. God has a plan for your life. Just like he had for David, he has for you. But then how does one come to get this plan? Understand it, see it, grasp it, and live it. It all begins with God. And everybody said, don't ever forget that. It all begins with God. Because the risk, you see, the danger is you're going to think it all comes down to you to get it done. You're going to think that the plan for your life comes from the university, from the education, from what you study, from what people tell you, from what your parents want you to be. I'm a Nigerian. All Nigerian parents want their kids to be doctors. All of them. All of them, apart from me. They all want them to be doctors. But if you're not a doctor, then you've got to be a lawyer. And that's it. If you're not a lawyer, then it's like you have embarrassed the family and we're not happy with you. So they're going to have to settle for being an accountant or something. God has a whole different plan. And you have to discover, no, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. What, has God's, what is God's plan for me? Listen, you don't get to choose your plan for your life. The world tells you, oh, you can just choose whatever you want. It's not true. Because the one who made you and designed you, made and designed you for a purpose, and he put a plan together. And therefore, you want to go back to God and say, what, God, what plans do you have for my life? David knew what plan God had for his life, but it took time to discover it. It all, first of all, number one, it begins with God. When I say begins with God, it begins, first of all, with the grace of God. The grace of God upon your life. Whenever God is going to start, he will always start with grace. That you may know that he is the bigger one, you're the smaller one. That he is the benefactor. He is always good. And you're always needy. And he will always see your sin and yet forgive if you will invite him in. When I became a Christian, I was, in, I was real young in university. And I went, to, uh, I went to a church service that was on, you know, and uh, I had read the Bible, you know, I was really arrogant because I read the Bible, you know, recreationally. Not to know God, just, ah, interesting stories. Uh-huh, ah, Jesus is pretty cool. Ha! And so on. That was me. And, you know, people would come to me to come to talk to me about, you know what, you need to give your life to Jesus Christ. And I would look at them and say, oh, really? But why don't you tell me what, what does the Bible say? They would quote the Bible to me. But because I had read it and I had a mind that would remember it, I would tell them they got it wrong. And I would correct them. And the whole time, I was not a Christian. Just arrogant. But one day, somebody had a big problem. Really big problem. And I said to them, you know what you need? You need to go to church. I think God, God can help you with this. And so, took this person. Took them to... I'll tell you what it was. This person had gotten herself pregnant and was devastated. Devastated. Not just that. Somebody gave her advice, so she went to have an abortion. She was devastated. Nobody told her afterwards what you would feel like. 
and the guilt feelings inside her wouldn't go away. I said to her, I don't know what to do. And you know what? I'll take you to church. I know how church runs. So I took her to church one Sunday morning. We got there, sat down. She knew nothing about church. I'm like, you know, I've read the book. I know how this goes. Don't worry about it. <laughs> so arrogant. Don't worry. And this is a church in Nigeria. Now, you need to know, Nigerian churches, you know, a small church is like 5,000 people, right? Yeah. So they got, I mean, thousands of people, worship going on. I'm saying to her, don't worry about it. I'll, I'll, you know, I'm explaining to her, oh, yeah, you see the guy going to give the speech? He's the speech guy. You know. She's just sitting down, listening, feeling guilty. In the middle of the worship, she begins to cry and breaks down. And then the guy preaching gives a call. If you want to give your life to Jesus Christ. And I'm about to say to her, you know what? You, you know what? This bit, you don't. She wasn't there. Where's she, where's she gone? How, why would she know what to do? She had gotten up and gone to the front. She gave her life to Christ. And he dealt with her and loved her. It made, it made someone like me think about it. What kind of God sees a person in the depths of sin and instead of coming to smash them, he comes to love them into correction. I sat down there. Just something was beginning to happen to me and I felt, I felt, I remember it till today, like God himself, it's almost like God came to me and put his finger on my, on my chest and said to me, you choose today who you will serve. There were thousands of people there, worship going on, people going to the front, everything noisy, and still somehow he came to me. Oh, listen, the grace of God is this. He comes to everyone one by one by one by one by one, and he wins them over to himself. And this God, when you say one by one by who does he go to first? He goes to the broken to the sinful, to the needy, to the weak, to the scared, to those who will say things like, I just don't have any friends, to those who will say, nobody likes me, to those who will say, I'm lonely. It goes to those ones first. So to qualify for his grace, you just have to admit how far you are from him. Oh, to know God's plan, God's plan for your life, you've got to know it begins with God, it doesn't begin with you. David knew that. When God called David, he was a very small boy in a very small village in a very far place, completely forgotten. And God said to Samuel, I am done with King Saul, and I'm coming to, I've chosen a new king. His name is David. You go over, and I'll show you the king. And Samuel, the prophet, he goes, he gets to the village. I mean, the smallest village. If you were going to choose a king, you want to go to the biggest village, the city. You want to go to London to pick a king, not God. Not God. He went to the smallest place. Nobody, I don't know what, with. Okay, maybe not. But somewhere, somewhere then, really, really far. That's where Samuel went. Samuel got there and he's like, all right, we come to the smallest place. And then God chooses a family that anyone barely knows, Jesse. And he says, all right, God wants to choose one of your sons to be king. Get them all out. Jesse brings out all the sons and he leaves the smallest one behind. Why? Because it's too small. It obviously cannot be him. Samuel goes in and sees all the sons lined up. Oh, he sees the first one, Eliab. He's so tall, big, handsome, an alpha male with flat tummy and all that kind of stuff. Big guy. When Samuel saw, when Samuel the prophet 
whose prophecies were amazing. He spoke for God. When Samuel saw him, he's like, oh, send the other guys home. This we got our man. And God says, Samuel, it's not him. What? Not him. He says it's not him. He said, listen, man, man chooses one way. God chooses differently. God looks at the heart. Man looks at the outside appearance. All of this has to do with the grace of God. Eventually, they send for David. You got any more sons? Not really. I mean, we've got David, but obviously it can't be him. It's like, go get him. No one sit down. No one eats anything until he gets here. David comes in, real young boy, probably singing. He comes in. They're like, him? I mean, you would not have chosen him, but God chose him. Why? He chooses the smallest, the weakest, the naughtiest, the worst. That's the one he wants to bless and change and anoint. That's the God that we serve. That's the God we serve. And I want you to really hear this. I don't want to just excite you. I want you to hear it deep in your spirit. There is a God who knows you, who designed you, who painted you on a board and stitched you together. That's how come you were born. And he has a plan. And by God, he will get the result of his hands working Jesus' name in your life. And wherever people realize the grace of God is upon me, they begin to realize that same grace begins to show you gifts that are inside you. The grace is upon you, the gift is inside you. When God called David, all he had was a guitar. Oh, and a pen. Oh, and a pad to write some songs he's going to write. Oh, and he had an ability to fight. But with, that's, that's what he had. If you're going to choose a king, you want someone who can handle a sword, swish, swish. No, 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 he had a guitar. Probably wasn't a very good guitar even. He would later discover this is not just a guitar. Oh no, this is ministry to make music that when he played it, healing came upon Saul when he played it. Saul had a, de a demon upon him. Whenever David picked up that guitar, just a few notes, something began to happen. David would have realized this isn't just me liking music. There's more to it. That's how you begin to discover your gift. It's not just about what you like. It's that when you do it, something happens to other people for good. He goes on to realize his ability to write songs and lyrics. Oh, my goodness. It wasn't just for, about him just writing songs. People will go on to sing these songs. Till today, we're quoting David. I started this sermon by quoting the words of David to you. He, little did he probably know that people are going to listen to these words. And their, God, their hearts will be moved and they'll lift up their hands and worship God. Thousands of teenagers in this place honoring God in that way. He didn't just have a pen. He didn't just have the ability to write. He wasn't just creative. He had power from above. He was a fighter. But he wasn't using his fight to make trouble in school. He had strength, but he didn't use it to just cause trouble in school. He waited whenever a wolf came to get one of the animals he was taking care of. He would fight the wolf and fight the bear and dislocate them and tear them apart. That was David. He knew how to do the right thing in the right way for the right reasons. Why? There were gifts inside him. There are gifts that God has put inside you. Can you say amen to that? It starts like a seed buried deep inside you. 
and God wants it to come forth to blossom out until you realize, my goodness, what I thought was a small thing is a big thing and God is using it to glorify his name and bless people. God has put a gift inside you. Unfortunately, some people ignore their gifts. Some people forsake their gifts. Some people even reject their gifts. Some people just spend their time admiring and being jealous and wanting other people's gifts and ignoring their own gift. Why would you do that? You are unique. God made you unique that you may bring forth what he has inside you. What he has inside you. Don't swap your gift. Don't give it away. Never, ever, ever relegate it. No, you need to explore it. What? I'm talking to somebody here today. I believe God wants you to hear this. In fact, everybody, whatever your name is, Andrew, Abigail, James, Lara, uh, Cynthia, whatever your name may be, Raj, any other names I can think of? Can you shout your name right now? When you read the Psalms, there are two or three of the Psalms when David, David put his own name right there. God has a plan for your life. There's a seed, his grace upon you, his gifts inside you. Because there are teachers, there are people here that God wants you at a point in your life to become a teacher. Not just one that stands in front of the classroom, bored and upset and angry, but one that every time they speak, the kids get it. The kids just want to be like them and they wonder what it is about the teacher. That teacher shapes their lives. God wants that kind of a teacher. God wants lawyers who, where they are righteous and right, and when they carry out the law, people realize what, what it looks like when God is in charge of a nation. God is looking for whatever it is, administrators, so that when they order things, people can see what it looks like when God sets things in order. It works. God has a plan for your life, and you must discover it. Oh, usually it starts small. Oh, you must not nurture it. Nurture it. It will often change a little bit from what you thought, but it's all in the end you will realize, oh my goodness, it was all a plan. It all begins with God. How do you find it? Then by God's guidance. His grace upon you, his gift within you, and then his guidance that leads you. It comes by prophetic words. It comes by passion. Listen to me. What I am doing right now, Right now, this day, what is it, 3rd of August, right now, this was prophesied to me over my life two decades ago, that one day you will stand before people and you will shout the glories of God. I'm the happiest man in this house today. What a God we serve. Unbelievable. What a God we serve. It's through the passions of your heart. You just have a passion for something. It's the visions that you have. It's dreams that you have inside, imaginations that God, by His Spirit, over time, it comes again and again, and it's in line with the Bible. It's deep convictions that you have. It's desires that you have and loves that you have. Those things begin to hint at what your gifting is. You want to know God's plan for your life? It begins with God, but listen to this. It will be challenged by the enemy. It will be challenged by the enemy. Whoever told you that Christianity is just a bed of roses lied to you. Because even roses have thorns. So at some point, something goes funny that's going to make you wonder, huh, 
so that you're not shocked when that thing happens, I'm telling you right now that your vision, your plans that God has in your heart, it will be challenged. And you need to be ready to deal with the challenge when it comes. It's going to be challenged by the enemy. And the enemy comes in different disguises and different masks and different tricks. That's how it comes. Sometimes it comes even by yourself, even you yourself. You are helping the enemy sometimes. And you're kind of spoiling what God wants to do in your life. Some people tend to, they have a tendency to see the obstacles. So that whatever God wants to move them into, guide them into, lift them into, they're like, I, I just don't think it will work. I mean, you haven't tried yet. No, I don't need to try. I just don't think it will work. And all their life, their head always goes no, and their feet go backwards. And so, because they're so scared. Others, it's inadequacies inside them. They just feel so inadequate. I feel weak. I just don't think I can. I don't think I can stand up to him. I don't think I can correct them. I don't think I can do it. It's problems everywhere. It's sometimes it's self. The enemy will use yourself to bring yourself down. He is that cunning. Sometimes it is situations. Different situations in life. For David, the nature of his situation was a man called Saul. Saul was king before. He messed up and God said, I'm choosing David. And God chose David when he was a boy. It would take many, many years before he actually became king. But when Saul found out that God had anointed David, he wasn't happy. See, when Saul first met David, he liked him so much. Because this guy was smart, he was young, could play the guitar, that helps. It's like, you know what, David, you get to come into my palace. And he kind of liked him, the whole nation liked David because of the things that he had done. But then one day they came back from battle and people are singing a song. Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his ten thousands. Saul was like, excuse me? They're like, oh no, Saul, you're a big man, you've killed your one thousand. Oh, but David did ten now. When Saul heard that, he was absolutely furious, incandescent with rage. And at that point, he stopped liking David. He was jealous because he knew that God's hand was on him. Began to speak and gossip about David. He, then he began to hate him. Then he wanted to kill him. And then he would never let it go. You know some friends like that? Oh, you need to know because if you're not, you need to know how to handle those kinds of situations and friends. It's like bullies in school. Anybody here facing a bully in school? I want to tell you that you can deal with that. You can. In the name of the Lord, you can. Because you're a child of God. You're not to be tampered with. And you're not weak. You're strong in Jesus' name. Yeah. So Saul was just terrible. Went around saying things about David that was just not true. And he would never let it go. First of all, it was a silent treatment when he realized God is with David. He didn't like David and he was silent. But then his demons would come and he would be like... And David would pick up his guitar and just play his wonderful songs. Songs of Zion. And the demon would go away from... But then once David is gone home, he would get mad again. 
Next thing you know, while David is playing the guitar, he would pick up his spear and throw it at David. He did this twice trying to kill him. David moved aside. His spear went into the wall, nearly killed David. That wasn't enough. At that point, David just ran away. Then later on, he came to David. He said, oh, sorry about that. Never mind, never mind. You know what, David? You're quite a good guy. Listen, uh, how about you go kill 200 Philistines and bring them here? Kill 200 of them. One man to go kill 200 people. You know his plan. He's hoping <laughs> when he goes, the Philistines will... When he said to David, go kill 200, David is like, okay. And he went. And he went to kill. He went to the Philistines, went to their camp. Hello, Philistines. I'm here to, I'm, I'm here to kill 200 of you. Any, any volunteers? I mean, so bold, so courageous. They were like, you come to, hey, they fight him, he kills 200 of them. With evidences in his bag, he goes back to uh, Saul and says to him, kill 200 of them, anything else? Saul is like, well, daddy. <laughs> I mean, he's just angry at this guy. Then he says to him, you know what, go, go home, go home. David goes home, and while he's sleeping in bed, he sends his soldiers to go and kill him at home. Yeah, bullies are like that. They don't, they don't do their work themselves. They send other people. He sends them. They go to David's house. His wife is like, oh, no, uh, he's not feeling well. When David heard them, jumped out of the window and ran away, his wife put the pillow there and just covered it with a duvet. It looked like someone was sleeping. The soldiers are like, what do you mean he's ill? We want to see him. It, oh, he's not feeling well. We came to kill him, but he's not feeling well. So they went back to tell Saul. Saul is like, excuse me? He said, we were going to kill him, but he's not feeling very well. <laughs> what? If he's not feeling well, that means he's halfway to dying. Go back and finish it. Oh, David was gone. And then David ran away to Samuel. Then Saul heard. He's looking for him the whole time. Then Saul heard he's with Samuel in Ramah. Saul is like, that's it. He got a, an army to go there and go kill him. Actually, it was a few men, a few soldiers to go there and go get him and kill him. And so the soldiers go, would have gone, well, they get there, but even before they could get close to the place, the Spirit of the Lord comes upon them. Because they're going to the house of the prophet. And instead of going with their swords to kill David, they end up worshiping. Can you imagine that? They're going there, David, we're going to kill. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the That's what happened. Unbelievable. Everyone was shocked. They said to Saul, um, he's like, have the soldiers come back? I don't think they're coming back. What do you mean? They've joined the choir. What? <laughs> he sent another lot. They went to well. Duh. Whatever you did to the others won't get us because we have come with Wilson and we're going to. I just want to praise you, Lord. Saul had enough. He's like, I'm going to go myself. Gets on his horse, goes there. When he gets there, he's like, David, I'm going to. I will worship. He gets down from his horse. Not just that. This is a little embarrassing. You might want to brace yourself. He takes off all his clothes. He's walking naked, worshiping naked. Ah, 
he got very, um, how do you deal? How do you deal with bullies? Do what David did. The moment he realized Saul didn't like him, he, went, he left the palace. He gave some space. Gave some space. Not just that. Next thing he did, he told somebody. He went to Samuel, and he told Samuel who anointed him. So he went to another Christian, a leader, a pastor, a youth. He went to talk about it. Weak people keep quiet. Strong ones talk about it. So you have to talk about it to somebody. And above all, you talk to God about it. And you'll be amazed how God can touch them by his spirit and turn things around in Jesus' name. Oh, there are challenges that come by yourself or come by situations, but the biggest one come by the full onslaught of Satan. And David faced that. It was one of the biggest challenges that he ever faced. And the, the, the giant came in by the name of Goliath. I mean, think about that. Just listen to the name. Goliath. There's nothing nice about that name. You grow up, get married, and have kids, you might not want to name them Goliath. No, no. Find another name like Toppy or something, but not Goliath. He was a giant. He was an incredible problem. He was a giant. You will face challenges, and sometimes they come in the form of this huge giant. A giant is any problem that threatens to destroy your future or to deter you from advance, or to diminish your joy in God. Anything that wants to damage your future or stop you from moving on with God and in life, and it stays there perpetually, will not give up or give in, that's the giant you're dealing with. And it cannot be resolved by human hands. You need God to come help you resolve it. This one came by the name of Goliath from Gath. It's all bad. Goliath from Gath. He was... He was almost 10 feet tall. I mean, that's kind of taller than, I mean, 10 feet tall. That's huge, nine point something feet. That's a real tall guy. He had a helmet. He had a bronze helmet. And that, hel- that thing that just covered his head. And you know what? It looks something like this, this helmet. It's something you Just to see it will have scared you. And they will have designed it in a way that would have scared you on purpose. He had a coat of metal that looked something like this. And this coat of metal would have even been bigger than... He had a javelin that looked something like this. But it would have even been longer and wider and stronger than this. And this is how he... In those days, they didn't have metal. He was covered with metal. And he would turn up. He turned up to the... To standing against the Israeli, the Israeli camp. And shouting. <laughs> That's part of this plan. Verse 8 said, he stood and he shouted. And he shouted to the, against the uh, Israelites, come and fight me. I am here to fight you. Come and fight me. I defy you. I defy your God. I defy everything. You want to stand in front of that guy? That's what it was like. That's one of the enemy's tactics, Intimidation. The challenge of intimidation. You got anybody trying to intimidate you? Oh, this is how it comes across. It's like you don't even have a chance. Not just that. He said this, choose one man to fight me. Oh, be very careful. Some people, whenever they have a problem, the first thing the enemy wants to do, he wants to isolate you, take you aside. 
Because it's easier to beat you up when you're, when you're away from your friends, when you're away from church, when you're away from... No, instead of pressing into God's house, into your small group, into your church, into your friends, good friends, into God. He wants to isolate. He said, choose one man. No one was volunteering. When he said, choose one man, everybody looked at Saul. Because Saul is the king and he's the tallest guy in Israel. I think at that point, Saul went, I'm not that tall. He said, I'm with, if you win, you can make us slaves. But if I beat that person, you will be our slaves forever. Oh, that's the enemy's tactic. He wants to put imaginations in your mind. And for 40 days, he stood shouting like this. Think about that now. 40 days. Morning, you go to bed, you're hearing Goliath's words in your ears. Say, you will die tomorrow. I know you, Lord. You will die. I will kill you. Come fight me. When you wake up in the morning, he's still there. 40 days. It's condemnation of the enemy. How does one handle this kind of a situation? These accusations of the evil one who wants to enter your mind and enter your heart and destroy everything good and destroy the plan that God has for you. Oh, you have to overcome Goliath. But the way to do it is this. Listen, don't deny that there is a Goliath. Sometimes people, I grew up in Christianity that made you just, just deny. Just, just pretend there's no problem. No, there is a big problem. You can't just put a cloth on it and say, look, it's gone. It's there. You don't deny. Don't become defensive. Oh, maybe it's me. Maybe it's me. I'm no good. Yeah, you're right, Satan. You're right. I'm really rubbish. Don't take that nonsense on board. Don't take the lie of the enemy. Take the truth of God on board. And by the way, don't do any deals with the enemy. When he says, well, let's fight. If you win, if I win, don't, you don't do those kinds of deals. Are you hearing me? You don't do de deals with the devil, ever. How do you defeat him? Number one, you must remember that you have a covenant with Christ. And everybody said, because that's good news right there. A covenant with Jesus Christ. When David came on the scene and saw this uncircumcised Philistine standing and shouting, that's the first thing he said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Coming here and shouting against the army. He's like, how dare you? What? How can this happen? It shouldn't happen. As far as he's concerned, God is this big. No other, God is bigger than Goliath and only David knew it. The whole army of Israel and the people didn't know it. It took a young 17-year-old to be like, I know that. When he said this uncircumcised Philistine, he's saying this, we have a covenant with the God of heaven. Who do you have a covenant with? Who do you have a covenant with? How dare you? Who do you have a covenant with? That was how David felt about this. He had real conviction. His faith and walk with God was not something temporary. Today I love God, tomorrow I don't. Today, no, 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 none of that with David. He was all in, completely in. He knew that he had a covenant with God. Because he's circumcised in the New Testament for you and I, we are the true circumcision. Who are led by the Spirit with glory in Christ Jesus and we have no confidence in the flesh, the Bible says. Philippians 3.3. 3. What the Bible is saying there is this. Our confidence is not in the flesh. It's not about physical circumcision. It's, our, it's this. It's that we have been won over by Christ, by His Spirit. We've been sanctified 
sanctified, washed, brought right through. First Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. It says, you have been washed, you've been sanctified, you've been justified in the name of Jesus Christ. You have a name, and that's a good thing. Can you say amen to that? And the name is the name of Jesus. It's got, that's the name that gets you saved. It's the name going to get you into heaven. It's the name going to help you walk on this earth. That name. Sometimes people overlook it. They just think it's a small thing. It's not. It's everything, like we heard earlier on. Everything you need is in the face of Jesus and the glory of God. That's where it really is. You have a name. What a wonderful name. I have, anytime I travel, I have, is that 10 seconds left? I have a card. <laughs> I have a card. Anytime I travel, a, a lounge card, you know, in the airport, I get to go to the lounge and stay waiting for airplanes and so on. And anytime I get there, they'll take my card. Oh, Mr. Carlioso, very good. Welcome, welcome. Come on in now. And so on. Somebody else has been using my card. He's been going in there, giving them the card. They've been saying, oh, Mr. Carlioso, welcome, welcome, welcome. It's my son. His name is Femi. Everywhere he's, he's been using my card. He just walks on there, presents a card. Oh, Mr. Collioso, you're such a frequent flyer. Come on in. I'm like, how did he get that done? He's got my name. He's covered. You've got the name of Christ. You're covered. When I was coming here, I was coming. And the new day was so good to me. They're like, come on, Tabby, you don't have to pay. Just come in. I'm like, thank you. And then I thought, I have a friend. Her name is Lynn Mary. She's probably, I'm like, what would it be like for, for first of all, for Kemi to come? My wife, Kemi can come, they said. And then later, I'm like, well, how about Lynn Mary? Can she, she can come, they said. <laughs> well, I have another friend called Dorothy. Can she, she can come, they said. And they got all these people, they don't even want to know who are they, are they good people? They're like, are they coming under your name? They can come under your name. And so they let all, there are a whole bunch of people here who owe money. No, they don't. <laughs> no, I'm going to pay for the whole thing. But the point is this, under that name, if you have the right name, you, you'll be amazed where you can go. You'll be amazed where God will take you. <laughs> you have... You have a covenant. And because you have a covenant with God, you have a covering. When David was going to fight Goliath, Saul said to him, David, but you're only a youth. You're only small. David is like, shush, cool, calm. Okay, okay, you're going to need this armor. Put it on. They put it on. The whole thing was all over. He couldn't walk, clang, 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 clang. He's like, I don't need all this. Listen to me. The armor you need is the armor of God, Ephesians chapter 6 the armor of God. You have a covenant, you have a covering. Some trust in horses, some trust in chariots. We trust in the name of the Lord our God. You have a covenant, a covering, and you must always remember this before you go fight the enemy. You have been commissioned by God. Why are we bothering fighting the enemy? Why don't we just run the other direction? Every time you run, the enemy knows that's easy to eat up. You don't have a choice. You don't get to run. You're a child of the living God. And he is with you. His glory upon you. He has vested interests 
that you do well, that you stand strong, and you are on God's mission. You are not on your mission. You're on God's mission. That's why you must be like Paul when Paul said, I, Paul, sent by God, not by man, not from man, not for man, by God. Everything you do as regarding your calling is from God and it is for God. Therefore, you don't get to run. You know, you, you, don't get, you get to stay there and do what God has called you to do that you may bring goodness to humanity and bring the glory of God, glorify God forever. You know, when people think of David, they think that he's a strong soldier running with a sword in his hand, you know, going to kill everybody, you know, probably something like this. That he can run and run, jump up and kill, but actually he's, he's not like that. David was a very, very, very simple, ordinary guy. Would have been just like one of the boys, one of the girls here. One of the boys or one of the girls here. That's how he would have looked. Nobody would have taken him seriously. But God, God took him seriously and God was with him. And in the end, he conquered. He conquered Goliath. You will conquer your Goliath in Jesus' name. As I draw to a close, I want you to stand up, everybody. Just leave what you have. Just stand up where you are. You've been blessed this evening. When David, one last thought that I want you to go home with. When, go back to your tent. When David saw Goliath, took off the armor that Saul gave him, picked up five stones and put them in his bag, with the sling in his hand, he went to Goliath and said to him, You, Goliath, you come to me with a spear, but I come to you in the name of the Lord, the God of hosts, who you have defied. He said, boy, he will deliver you into my hands this day. He will deliver you into my hands. And he says this, that I will strike you down. I will cut off your head. I will feed your head to the birds of the air and to the animals on the field. So that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And that the battle is not mine. The battle is the Lord's. Can you shout amen to that? When I was thinking, coming here today, I was thinking to myself, I am doing exactly what God called me to do. The fulfillment that that puts inside you, nothing can come close to that. There are no missions impossible with God. None. He has a call on your life, and you will be exactly who he calls you to be. I am who God said I will be. I am who God says I am. That's who he wants you to be. I want us to close with a song. The musicians are going to come lead us. And then I want, us, I want to pray over you before I go. Are you ready for that? Are you ready for that? And you probably know this song. I'm sure you do. But it's all about you knowing that God has called you and who he has called you to be, that you have been adopted 
into his house, into his family. Therefore, his call upon your life is solid, it is sure, and it is secure, and no one can take it away from you. Today, I'm going to pray over you that all that God has invested in you will come into being in the name of Jesus. Would you all just lift up your hands everywhere? Lift up your hands and just begin to talk to God. Say, God, I know you've put some things inside me. Today, oh Lord, begin to open my eyes and let me see. Let me understand. Let me grasp it, oh God. Your plans, oh God. You are the first. You are my everything. It's you, oh God, that I need. And when you say this is who I am, that is exactly who I am. And no one will take that from me in the name of Jesus. There's some people that want to pray over you. I heard them just praying for this camp. And it so moved my heart at a prayer meeting that I want them to pray over you. And so as the prayer is just going to be short, just one minute, but let your heart be open. And you know what? In a posture as if to receive, would you lift your hands up? Just raise your hands and let your heart be singing amen to this. Lord, I thank you that you're an awesome God. And I thank you that you have your hand on each and every person in this room right now, Lord. I thank you that you're an awesome God. And because we have you, we need not fear any giants in our lives, Lord. I thank you that you have said that who the sun sets free is free indeed. I thank you that we can walk through our lives with a swag and with a confidence because we know that we have the Lord Jesus Christ on our side. I thank you, Lord, that because we have the Lord Jesus Christ on our side, there is no one, there is nothing that can stop us achieving what God has for us. I thank you that you have a plan for every single child in this room right now. And I pray in Jesus' name that we would never ever forget that you have your hand on us. We would never ever forget that you have a plan for us. We would never ever forget that we are uniquely and wonderfully made. We would never ever forget that Jesus Christ died for all of our sins. In Jesus' name, when we leave New Day and we go about our lives, let us go about our lives with a confidence and a strength and a resilience against any schemes of the enemy that nothing Satan throws at us will prosper in Jesus' name because we have Christ Jesus on our side. And all God's children said... Heavenly Father, we thank you for this event, Father Lord. We thank you, Father Lord, for all that you have ordained to happen here, Lord. We thank you, Father Lord, for the thousands of lives that you have brought, Father Lord, that you have drawn near, Father Lord, to be in your presence, Heavenly Father. I pray, Heavenly Father, for each and every life here represented, each and every family represented in this room today. I pray, Heavenly Father, that your spirit will rest upon them, Lord. I pray, Father Lord, that the words that have been preached, Father Lord, in this tent, Father Lord, that they will speak speak spirit and they will speak life, Father Lord, into the lives of every single young person here, Father Lord. I pray, Father Lord, that every single person here will affect change in their communities. I pray, Father Lord, that they will go and they will be influencers, Father Lord, that they will be beacons of light, Father Lord, in their communities, Lord. I pray, Father Lord, that families will be changed, Father Lord, because of the work that you have done here today, Father Lord. I pray, Father Lord, that lives will never be the same. I pray, Father Lord, that you will bring freedom, Father Lord, that those who are captive, that those who have been captive, that you will set them free, Father Lord, that you will break chains off of lives in this place today, Father Lord. I pray, Father Lord, against anxieties, against insecurities, against fears, against the lies of the enemy.
enemies that are telling them that they are worthless, that they can do no good, Lord. I pray, Heavenly Father, that those lies, Father Lord, will be silenced in this moment, Lord. I pray, Heavenly Father, that we will raise up a generation of those who love you and who love your word, Lord. Bless your people in this place. In your mighty name we pray. Lord God, I want to thank you that you purposefully made every single individual that's here today, Lord God. There is a reason why everyone has come to New Day. It wasn't by accident, Father God. I thank you for the word that we've heard today, that you have blessed each and every one of us with this word, Lord God. And I pray that nobody leave this tent the same today, Lord God. I pray that you have put something on the inside of us, Lord God. You have planted a seed, Father, that will grow and sprout, Lord God. I pray that in this tent right now, Lord God, is a future prime minister, is a future head of the BBC, is a future head teacher, Lord God. And I pray that we will change the nation Father God, we will change the world because the same power that conquered the grave lives inside of us, it lives inside of me, it lives inside of everybody here, Lord God. And in that power, in that confidence, and in that boldness, we will do what you commissioned us to do, which is save, change lives, bring people to you, Lord God. So, Lord, have your way with us, make us effective vessels. I pray in your name, amen. I just speak freedom in this place. We are completely free. We step into the identity that God has called us into. In the name of Jesus, I just speak over you. You are sons and daughters of the King. You are set apart. You are created for purpose. You, God sees you. God loves you. God knows you. God has called you to walk in him, to walk in your purpose. And he loves you. He calls you now. He calls you out to come and be with him. And I just declare over you that your future is set apart that you're called to prosper, that you're called to be successful, that you're called to be doctors, lawyers, teachers, musicians, all good things, all greatness is all in store for you because God loves you. He sees you. He calls you out. He calls you out amongst the masses. And we just glorify you, God. We praise your name. We thank you for New Day. We thank you for the relationships that are being formed. We thank you for this opportunity to praise you, Lord. And in the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. Every name shall confess that you are the Lord God. We glorify you, God. We praise you. And everybody said, Amen. And I'm going to pray over you before I leave. But I have these words I want us to read together. I don't know if the PowerPoint people can help. It starts with, I am a child of God. And I just want us to say those things together. So um, I'm going to wait for them to put it up. If I hope they can hear me. All right. So we're going to say these things together. It's only about four slides. And I want you to declare it. To declare it. Everybody heard that? You have to lift your voice and declare it. And then I'm going to pray over you. Here we go. I am a child of God. I was bought with a price. I am accepted. I am. I am. I am. I am who God says I am. God has a plan for my life. The grace of God is, the gifts of God are, the spirit of God, I will not fear the enemy. I will not fear friends. I will not fear the future. I will advance God's kingdom. I will do God's work. I will live God's way. I will serve God in my generation. This is the last one. Through it all. I will be sanctified. Jesus will be glorified. God will be magnified in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Woo!